Well, God is good, and uh, that's really what I want to share this morning. But before I do, um, Cynthia and I had an amazing opportunity this week to take a few days off and go down to a little place called Cedar Key, uh, Florida. It's a little rural, really rural place in the, um, the northwestern section of Florida, below the panhandle, just a little bit above. Um, what was the name of that town, Cynthia? Not Tallahassee, um, Tampa, thank you. <laughs> a little bit north of Tampa Bay, and we spent not quite a week there. And uh, it was a population of 800 people. We said, what do people do here? People come here to get away from people. <laughs> and there's an amazing aquaculture there where they actually grow clams, and we learned about that and the history of the place. And it was amazing. Anyway, um, on Friday, um, I actually had an opportunity. Most of you know I'm a sportsman. <laughs> and I had the opportunity to go hog hunting. <laughs> hog hunting. And uh, so I know some of you would say... <laughs> You know, you may have seen the picture of the big one that I got there. <laughs> um, but actually, the, the, the greatest catch that I had, um, and I didn't bring the picture of this, but some of you may have seen it on Facebook. I couldn't resist the urge and put it on Facebook of my wife, who actually went with me dressed in camo. Does anybody see that? You know, a dozen or two of you. <laughs> she was the greatest catch. <laughs> um, so anyway... Um, we want to start this morning, and um, I want to share, uh, I actually ought to start with the real truth, not a pigtail. <laughs> this is a real truth. I did get two hogs. They weren't, you know, these hogzilla types that um, I understand uh, Pastor Jim squealed on me last week and uh, said, that, yeah, when he comes back, he's going to tell this hog story, this pigtail, get huge, shooting this huge pig. I actually killed two of them like that. Uh, but, you know, that's what hunters do. So, and I don't even need them anymore. It's a whole other story, but I'm sure that may be some other time. But today, we want to actually walk through um, a continuation of the greatest um, sermon ever, ever preached. And if you're new uh, with us today, if you haven't been here for the other eight um, of the first uh, segment or phase of the Sermon on the Mount was actually all of chapter 5. Um, today we are actually going to enter into chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a fascinating little study. Um, but uh, what a, we discovered a couple things. I want to sort of step back and, you know, pan out a little bit. We've been looking at the minutia of, you know, who's blessed and, and uh, what did Jesus mean by that in the Beatitudes. And then the um, contrast between the old righteousness and the new righteousness in six different ways that Jesus taught about what that looks like, what it means to be to have a kingdom heart. And uh, we're discovering answers to the two great questions um, uh, forced upon us by human life. And I want to just give them to you here real fast. Jesus is answering the question in this sermon, the Discourse on the Hill, Sermon on the Mount, who really is well off? Because people had lots of definitions of Who's well off in life? Who's blessed? And the second question that's forced on, was forced on the people on the mount or the hill with Jesus as he taught them is the same question that's forced on you because of your being a human, and that is, who is genuinely a good person? Now, if, if you're tracking with me, the church, or in fact, maybe you're answering that question 
who really is a good person, and sometimes we compare ourselves with other people and come up with the, um, the understanding that, well, we're pretty good because we're not like that person. You see, and that's what Jesus is then uh, trying to help those on the mountain understand uh, who really is well off and who really is a good person. Now, um, one who is really well off. Let me just summarize a couple of things, kind of the larger picture from the last eight weeks. Uh, the one really well off is one whose life is based upon, this is what Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And you have full access to it. It excludes no one. The kingdom of God is now. It's not coming future. Oh, yes, there's a future dimension of it. But the kingdom of God is now present in the person of Jesus. So the one whose life is based upon acceptance of an intimate interaction with what God is doing in human history, that's the one who is specifically uh, really well off. Because the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is at hand. Take your hand. Your hand. Look at it. That's pretty close, isn't it? The kingdom of God is that close to every one of us. And yet the enemy of our soul has somehow distorted that truth and caused us to think of ourselves in all kinds of different ways and assess the problem and answer it wrongly. The kingdom of God is at hand right now and it's present. And Jesus then is the one who brings us into this kingdom, this reign, this place where God actually rules in our lives, um, into personal interactive relationship with himself. You see, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, he wasn't saying Pedal your bicycle harder and faster and somehow you'll get in. He was declaring that I'm the covenant man. I am the anointed one who has now come. And by having interactive, interpersonal relationship with me, you get in. That's your ticket. So interactive relationship with Jesus is how we access the kingdom. The kingdom of God is present where Jesus rules and reigns interactively in the heart. Hello? That's what Jesus was, was communicating and helping those under the old religious form, the old righteousness, righteousness by not doing something. He was telling them about the kingdom of God now that is at hand and accessible to every human being. Now, the genuinely good person who's well off, who's really blessed by by relationship with Jesus, and then the genuinely good person uh, is one who from the deepest levels of their hearts and motives are committed to promoting the well-being or the good of every person that they meet with. That's why Michael shared last week some of his struggles and very raw and open about how do you love people when it's hard. You see, without having an opportunity uh, to... Uh, be in conflict and difficulty and, and then see your perceived enemy through the love and the heart of God, you, you'll never understand the kingdom. We'll never get it until we're put in the pressure cooker of having to love somebody who's not very lovable. 
But that in and of itself is the, is the declaration to ourselves that we're men and women with a new kingdom heart. You see, we promote the good of everyone that we deal with, even those who are perceived by us as our enemies. Now, this is the kingdom lived out beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees who thought they were righteous because they didn't do certain things or because they did do certain things, but their hearts were uncircumcised. That's a figure of speech from the Old Testament. Uh, or not born of the Spirit, or, or to say it another way, whose hearts are not yet softened to the things of the Spirit of God in their life. They're being religious, but not truly spiritual in the biblical sense of the word so the kingdom lived out then is that which we have access to and that's how we go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the pharisees now this union of our heart with the rule of the king let me say that again this union of our heart with the heart of the king thrust us into the conspiracy to undermine the structures of evil in this world with the forces of truth and freedom and love. Beloved, that is the calling of the kingdom of God. The conspiracy by which God is birthing a kingdom in us and by His power and His power alone, enabling us through the forces that come against us, even the gates of hell themselves, we can stand, even if it costs us everything, and declare the truth and the freedom and the love and the grace and the mercy of God Himself, and that undermines evil in the world. Now, you might not believe it, but that is what Jesus was teaching to each one of us. So this union of heart with the rule of the king, thrust us into the conspiracy by which God is eventually going to make the kingdoms of this world to become the kingdoms of His anointed one. And you're part of it right now. If the kingdom has broken in to your heart. Now, having said that, by way of background, uh, let's take just a walk through the first four verses of Matthew chapter uh, 6 won't be very lengthy here, uh, but let's turn there if you have your Bible, and uh, let's read. And in this text, uh, Jesus is actually talking about two of the greatest impediments of kingdom life in us. Jesus said in verse 1 of chapter 6 of Matthew, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds... Now, depending on what translation you're reading, it may say, what do some of you say? Giving? Acts of righteousness? Uh, alms? Okay. Take heed that you do not do these things, giving, alms, charitable deeds, etc., before men in order to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have your reward from your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus went on and he said, Therefore, when you do 
give, or when you give an alms or alms, or when you do a charitable deed, don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets in order that they may have glory from men. For assuredly, I say to you, that's it. They have their reward. Verse 3, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In order that your charitable deed may be actually done in secret, and your father, remember, your father sees in secret, and he himself rewards you openly. Now let's just talk about a couple of concepts that emerge out of this text. And Lord, what do you mean? I mean, uh, well, here's a couple of things. I think Jesus is really highlighting what we could call respectability on one hand. Remember, these are impediments to experiencing the full measure of this kingdom that we were just experiencing and we've been talking about. Impediments to the kingdom of God in us and through us is actually respectability or our reputation. Uh, And now secondly, um, our understanding of wealth and who owns it. This isn't my stuff. This is Jesus. Okay? Uh, So, the lure of religious honor, um, reputation, and respectability is one of the themes that Jesus is pushing pretty hard here in the Sermon on the Mount. And let me just allude to a couple of things by turning over to Matthew chapter 23. And I'll just hit a couple of high points for you, and then we'll go back to Matthew 6. Um, at the end of verse 2 of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus spoke to the multitudes, and um, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in the seats of authority, of Moses' seat. And therefore, whatever uh, they tell you, uh, do, that is, observe, Um, But don't do according to their works, for uh, they say, but they don't do. Now, Jesus is clearly closing the gap uh, between the dissonance uh, between what a person says and how a person lives. He's interested in the internal aspects of his kingdom. Um, He says, verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens... Um, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them even with one of their little fingers. You see the, the scathing comments Jesus is making toward those who want to appear a certain way, but who inwardly have not experienced and are not walking commensurate with what they say. Um, verse 5, But all their works they do... Uh, to be seen by men. Can you say that? To be seen by men. Uh, they make their uh, religious garb, their phylacteries broad, and they lar- enlarge the borders of their garments. Uh, they love the best places in the, the seats and the feast, uh, and the best seats in the synagogues. Uh, they love loud and bolsterous. Um, calling attention to themselves, verse 7, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi. 
and teacher and leader and uh, Lord, man or woman of authority. But, verse 8, uh, do not be called rabbi, for you have one, and that's uh, your teacher, the Christ, the anointed one. See, he, Jesus levels the field back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's his presence. So therefore, do not call anyone on earth your father. Uh, and that doesn't say, you know, don't address your dad as dad or your father. That's not what he's talking about. Don't call anyone on earth your father because you have one father who is in the heavenly realm. And do not be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the anointed one. And uh, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Now, if we sort of turn back now to Matthew chapter 6, we'll sort of bring this together with some concluding thoughts. This is the, the, one of the impediments of experiencing and walking out the kingdom of God is the need that people have for uh, religious, not just religious, but for honor. Um, and, you know, I almost didn't bring this picture this morning. I mean, Steve was a pig, a big hunter. What's that about? Well, it, it was an attempt to be sort of humorous with something Pastor Jim started last week. And that was good. We need to you know, laugh at it. But, but, but the point more, more pointedly is that all of us will try to be seen as something, even if it is a big hunter. Why? Because we are insecure with our relationship with our Father who is in heaven, who calls us his son or his daughter. And he says, I love you just the way you are. You don't have to perform anymore for me. See, I've already performed for you. And the kingdom is now extended to you, and you're welcomed into it fully, just the way you are. The, the lure, then, of, res, of religious uh, honor, respectability, etc., um, and they, the Pharisees and the scribes, did it, and just to tag a couple of ideas, through religious symbols on their clothes. Their phylacteries were long and broad. That means this, this kind of... Um, um, stole thing that would go around their robes. I mean, even to wear those things in public is enough. But they, you know, they'd walk around, you know, and you know, this is, this is, uh, well, I don't, this is weird. Uh, they loved the prominent seats uh, at dinner, and they loved the respectable greetings in the public, and they loved being called professor and doctor. Well, religious posturing, then, is really what Jesus is talking about. Trying, human beings, trying to receive the accolades of, of men. We see some of it, religious posturing around the rear ends of cars these days. Just saying. I'm not saying don't use a bumper sticker, but a lot of it comes across and just smacks of something stupid. And it really might be a real issue, by the way. But how is that read by the person who is uninitiated, who doesn't yet understand the kingdom? They see pompous, arrogant, you know, in-your-face stuff. Okay, uh, bragging and exhibitionism on bumper stickers or T-shirts. Uh, that's just my corny illustration. Uh, routine puffing uh, of credentials and resumes. I'm Dr. So Who cares? Oh, I care. That's why I do it. 
You, you, you see what I'm saying? And, and Jesus is about heartedness. He's about understanding the heart of the Father and embracing it such that your heart and my heart begins to uh, close the gap by the working of His Spirit and by immense grace of God. God is closing the gap between our heart and God's heart such that uh, we begin to uh, look more and more like Him. So much of our behavior then, it passes for a normal part um, of, of our self-esteem culture is what I'm talking about. And I think that's what Jesus would talk about if he were here today. Oh, Jesus is here today. Jesus is talking about this. We are the body of Christ. And when one has the immense humbling privilege of reading the word of Jesus and declaring it with any uh, true and genuine and authentic revelation, you can be sure Jesus is speaking to you and to me today. All that is part of life without a true sense of our individual standing in the presence of God, God living in us and wanting to be seen through us is just a bunch of hot air. (laughs) Now, having said that, Jesus invites us into a kingdom a domain where the king wants to reside. And beloved, as soon as you sign on or say yes to the king, that means he wants to be Lord and to rule in your life. And all other posturing just says, you know, do all that you do as unto the Lord. Not as man-pleasers, but to please God, all of our boasting, etc. Now, children of the kingdom then um, are to have none of this posturing and puffing and credentializing and look at me and what I have and aren't I religious and aren't I holy. There is nobody holy except Jesus. There's one. Don't call yourself leader necessarily like you're something. No, you've got one leader and it's the anointed one in our midst and he makes everything level at the foot of the cross. One of these days, every knee, the Scripture says, will bow. Even those of the pompous, religious, prideful, and arrogant, they're all going to bow at the feet of the King. I'm making a choice to bow before Him now and to let Him show Himself even through the weakness and through the failures and the foibles of of even my own humanity. You see, you have one Father who is in heaven now, Matthew 23, verse 9. Uh, You have one teacher, and you are all students. And his apprentices. His learners. One teaching a... Do you hear what Jesus is saying? How do we approach with humility and, and brokenness and contrition walking out the real presence of the real king uh, in our midst. You have one leader, and that's the anointed one, and your servants. The servant is the greatest among you. Well, I'll I'll just pick on our elders because I am one. 
I'm an elder. And my highest calling is to be a servant. And anything less than that doesn't flush. Maybe it does. I don't know. <laughs> you see, we play to an audience of one. Every one of us. Because we have one who is teacher. He's the anointed one in our midst. And he lives. It's egalitarian at its best. You might not like that concept. It's not socialism. This is Christianity at the core where everybody stands on level ground at the foot of the cross before Jesus, who is the Lord. Now, securing then one's life through reputation or respectability is one way we do it. And the religious folk did that by dressing a certain way, speaking a certain way. They wanted to be addressed a certain way. Oh! And securing one's uh, life through wealth is what Jesus talks about next. Let's look at a couple of concepts here. When you give, he said in Matthew chapter uh, 6, don't give in order to be seen by people. The kingdom, you see, uh, as kingdom people, God actually puts it in our hearts to give. And the question is why? It's because the kingdom of God is about the one who has given to us. And how we demonstrate that we have received that kingdom is by turning around and giving it away to others. Remember, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say, you, you have freely received and now freely Give. You see, the nature of the kingdom is not to, to hold on to or to secure one's position through security of wealth. The nature of the kingdom, if we really understand it and have been embraced by it and are embracing it, is to, is to then uh, give. Kingdom people will give because they have been given so much. For God so loved the world that He, His only begotten, so that whosoever... In him shall not, but have everlasting life, Zoe, everlasting life. Now, a couple of elements that are clear in this text is that as those who have then received the king and have received the kingdom, by virtue of having received him and it, the king and the kingdom, we then become generous people. We become generous. Generosity, then, is the truest sign of the kingdom. So, so you say, I have nothing to give. Remember Peter? When the man was uh, uh, crippled? And Peter said, oh, silver and gold I don't have. But what I have, I give to you. Beloved, you might say, I don't have anything to give. And that is the deepest and the most profound lie that comes from the very heart of hell. Because if you've received the king, you have him to give. And beloved, that is enough when you give the king. See, generosity is the truest sign then of, of the kingdom ruling in our, our midst. There are some practical ways in which God then calls kingdom-minded and hearted people uh, to give. And one of them is through alms that we read about, doing charitable deeds. And there's much in our culture that thinks because of grace, now I could just do what I want. No, grace ties you to the King, the King of grace. And we belong no longer to ourselves, but to Him. And the tithe then and almsgiving are two ways in which we get to demonstrate that all of our life belongs to Him. 
And we have perverted that so much by this notion of grace. Grace activates the human heart to simply give and give and give again in a multitudinal fashion. Is that a word? In, a, in a many ways. <laughs> okay, I always make up words. And next, not only are we generous, but we give in secrecy, giving uh, before the God who sees. I don't think God cares what you give. And I mean how much you give. I think God cares that you give. Because if you, are not, if you make $100, give Him 10 I promise you, 90% will be huge if you obey Jesus. That's the point, I think, that, that he's talking about. Kingdom people have had their hearts transformed so that they give, not only tithes, but alms and gifts and love and mercy. Now, remember the, the subject of tithe came up and Jesus addressed the scribes and the Pharisees and he said, well, you guys are tithing um, mint. I grow mint. Uh, and cumin, I don't grow. Mint and cumin and... Anybody else remember that? You're tithing of the very herbs that you're growing. You know, you get a pile of, of ten ounces and you, you take one out and that's what you give away. And Jesus said, this you should have done without neglecting the... Say with me, weightier issues. Weightier issues of the law. Which are love and mercy. You see, Jesus didn't relax anything. He just said, my people are going to be those who receive from me freely. And they're going to be my people who give freely. Predominantly love and mercy. And they'll do it in secret. They don't need to be seen uh, by men. And then thirdly, Jesus talks about rewards. If you do it, you're giving. Uh, In order to be seen by people... That's all you get. But there's a concept embedded in this text that talks about reward. And I don't understand, I don't purport to understand all of what that means, but I think at least it means that when a kingdom people are obedient to the king, uh, sort of at the end of the day, the king knows about it all through life, and at the end of the day, you're going to be rewarded commensurately. You'll be rewarded according to what you have given. Therefore, give, the Scripture says, and it will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing, men will pour into your lap. Now that has been so abused in the church of Jesus over the years to hamstring and to beat people to give more money. But I'm telling you, there's a kingdom reality in the core of this thing that sets the heart free. To trust God, without which we can't trust Him. Fully, We simply mouth our commitment to follow Jesus and our hearts are far from Him. Now, kingdom people, and I'll end with this, are people transformed by their daily walk with God. Just a closer walk with Thee. <laughs> Remember that old song? That's what Jesus is after. Not coming once a week, you know that. I'm preaching to the choir, I recognize this. 
But God is work, working an intimacy, an interactive relationship with you that will continue tomorrow morning when you arise. And if you skate through your morning regimen with shower and shave and brushing your teeth and eating your breakfast and off you go and not give a thought to the king in your midst, you have missed a major portion of what the kingdom of God is all about because he wants to use us, transformed by our daily walk. Their deeds naturally flow from a kingdom heart, which means, I put this one, doing good to others doesn't require a whole lot of reflection. I've got to think about whether I'm going to love this sorry rascal. <laughs> no, if he's your enemy, just love him. Just say, God, I can't love that sorry whatever, but I know you can. And I avail myself to you, and I invite you, Holy Spirit, into this sphere of relationship, and I'm going to trust you to love him or her. Love of God in genuine, therefore, love of other people, is the chief motivation in life. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus was asked. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because he first loved you and love your neighbor as yourself and sharing Jesus along the way. Recognize that, that every small action, when motivated by the king, has massive eternal impact. Now, there's a little myth. I don't know where it really came from. And I'll, only, I'll paraphrase it as we close here. But I um, was reminded of it this week, this past week. Cynthia and I went down and we visited the zoo in Tampa. And we went into the aviary where the birds are. And they were sitting on her head. And I got pictures of Cynthia with these, you know, these beautiful birds on her. There was a little hummingbird there. And the myth goes like this. There was a great forest fire. And um, all of the animals were freaked out because the, ra- the fire was raging. And they all you know, ran, ran you know, up, upwind from the fire to escape it. And the little hummingbird uh, was, you know how they fly, just so fast, and flew over and took a drop out of the creek and then flew over the flames and dropped it. And all the other animals were like, what is wrong with you, you idiot? Why are you doing back and forth, picking up a drop and dropping it, and picking up a drop and dropping it? And the response was, I'm only doing what I can. And what I can do always matters. Beloved, some of us have believed the lie that because we can't do something grand, that it doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. No, it's the small things that we do. The accumulation of little things over time that produces great wealth in the kingdom of the heavens. That's what Jesus was teaching to the folks on the hill. That's what Jesus is teaching to you and to me to remember we're kingdom-hearted people because the king lives in our heart by faith. Born of the Spirit opens our eyes to see and understand that kingdom. Well, I think that's as far as I went today. But when you give, don't give in order to pump up your respectability 
uh, don't give in order you know, to be seen by people or that's all that you get. Dean, why don't you come and maybe our worship team and we'll just close with a song here. And just my request this morning is that you would say yes to whatever level the king is asking of you. See, you, you can say no to the king. Maybe some of our prayer team could come and just be up here if you'd like some special prayer before we slip out. When the king says left or right, uh, we have the capability of saying, no, I don't think so. And he says, okay. And by and by, we're out there living our life in our own steam, in our own resources, and then we begin to blame God and ask God where he went. Don't we? Yeah. Let's pray a minute. Any uh, on our ministry team, if you'd come and just be available and as we'll close here. Father, I want to thank you for your word. And Lord, it is like honey to our lips. It is like water to a parched and thirsty soul. Slow us down this week, Lord, to recognize that you, Jesus, the King, are standing at the door of our hearts, knocking and saying, won't you let me rule and reign in your life today? The King wants to bless those who are truly well off. God wants to expand his kingdom in us and then ultimately through us. Maybe you're here today and have never said yes to Jesus, the King. You know, it's possible. It really does happen in the Bible Belt, I'm told. That people can go to church all their life and never have heard the gospel that God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to be religious. You just have to recognize the King is at hand and wants to come in and manifest his kingdom in your heart. The invitation is a simple one. Open your heart and say, Okay, Jesus, I'm tired of playing games. I want you to come and do in me only what you can do. I got a marriage that's weird and on the rocks, you might say. I'm having a difficult time with relationships at work. I'm out of work. I don't have work. I'm, I'm in great need. Whatever, whatever it is, we sang all things work together for the good of those who, who love God. Why don't you give Jesus a chance and let him come in and rule and reign in your life? Let's stand and we'll be dismissed. Father, bless your people today. Thank you for who you have made us to be. Thank you, God, that you are the life force in us. It is not ourselves. We live because you have died. We have died because you live. God, continue to manifest your rule and reign 
in us even this week. God is going to give some of you immense opportunities to love other people with the love of the King. God's going to give some of you opportunities to give like you've never given before. Maybe love and mercy. Maybe forgiveness. Maybe extending the same grace that Jesus has extended to you. Whatever it is that the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, just take a moment and offer it up to Him with a a yes that's born of His presence. And now, may the Lord Himself bless you and keep you. May the Lord Himself lift up His countenance upon you, manifest the light of His glory in you and through you. May the Lord Himself give you His peace as you walk as ambassadors kingdom of God knowing that the little part that you feel like you play is immensely significant in the eternal kingdom of God